Good. God is great. Wonderful. You know, I need to say, I want to say from the front here this morning that I love hearing the kids. I love hearing the kids make noise. I do. I genuinely do. It can, of course. Um, kids can be noisy, but that's good. And we love having kids here. And it's great that they're here this morning. And Jesus wants to minister to them just as much as he wants to minister to us. And the kids here are just as much a part of this family as any of us are. And so I just want to give thanks to God that we've got noisy kids in the house this morning. I do. I do. I'd much rather that than have no noise at all. And I want to thank God for them. And I want to pray for them. Because they are not just the church of tomorrow, but they're the church of today as well. They're just as much a part of this body as any of us. And so we just give thanks. And listen, if your kids are making noise, then don't feel awkward about it. It's just the way life is at times. Trust me, I know. Trust me, I know. I know. But I'm really glad. As the pastor here, I am delighted that we've got kids in the house this morning. More kids than usual this morning. That really blesses my heart. It really does. We're going to open the Bible together this morning. And uh, my prayer and my hope is that the Lord Jesus would speak to us through his word this morning. You will know that over the past few weeks, I have begun to let you into my heart a bit more than perhaps I have done so far. And I've tried to share with you some of the ways that God has shaped my thinking and my heart in relation to my ministry or our ministry, Emily and my ministry amongst you and our life together. You know that there are millions of churches all across the world, millions of expressions of the body of Christ all over the world. And every single one of those churches, those expressions of Christ's body is different, right? Everyone is different. There's no two churches that are exactly the same. And that's one of the, one of the wonderful and beautiful things about the body of Christ is that it, it's so different in its expression and so different wherever you may find it. But at the same time as it being very different, there are some central features that should be, I think, present in the life of every church. If as a body of Christ we want to grow and become strong and be healthy and effective and fruitful for him, then there are some central components that need to be right at the middle of our life together. And we've been speaking about that over the last few weeks, about the importance of the scriptures, God's word to us, about the importance of prayer. These things are vital. We want to grow into the people that God wants us to be. These things need to be central to our life together. And just as there are many different churches all over the world, each one of those churches has leaders or pastors or shepherds, and every one of those leaders and pastors and shepherds is different as well. 
Every pastor has different giftings, different personalities, different passions, different desires. But just as in every church there are some things that should be central to its life, so in the life and ministry of every pastor there are some core things that need to be central to their leadership, their ministry. And I, as I have read through the scriptures and sought to learn and understand what the particular calling and responsibilities are that God has placed upon me as the pastor of Hope Church here, I have discovered, or should I say been reminded rather than discovered, that there are four things, four things that I think God expects a Christian minister to be committed to. A fruitful Christian minister will be committed to four things. Now, I've shared these with you several times already, but I think it's worth repeating them. As your pastor here at Hope, I believe deeply that God wants me to commit myself to these four things, to preaching faithfully, to praying fervently, to living blamelessly, and to loving deeply. These four values or activities or commitments, I believe, need to be right at the heart and the very center of the responsibilities of every church leader or pastor. These are not the only things that every church pastor should do. These are not the only things that I should do. There are, of course, other aspects in the life of a church that me or any pastor should be engaged in and committed to, for sure. Um, But here's the thing, there are also lots of aspects of church life that maybe the pastor shouldn't be as committed to as they sometimes are. I think the danger or the challenge when it comes to pastoral ministry, especially in these days and in a situation like this, for any pastor is to try and get clarity and discernment over what are the things that God is particularly asking of me. Because there can be a temptation for pastors to feel like they need to do everything, right? There can be a temptation to feel like you need to do everything and to try and do everything. And that's a noble ambition, but it's a foolish one. It's a foolish one because if the pastor tries to do everything, one is they burn out really quickly. Two is they stifle the giftings in the rest of the church, right? And three is they tend to get distracted from what is most important, right? And so for me, these things, preaching faithfully, praying fervently, living blamelessly, loving deeply, are not the only things that I believe I need to be committed to and engaged in, but they are the primary things. They are the central things that I believe God is calling me to take responsibility for in the life of this particular body of people. And so if you ask me in a nutshell, what does your job involve, Phil? I'm going to tell you this. This is what my job is. To preach faithfully. To pray fervently. To live blamelessly. And to love deeply. And what I've been attempting to do over the past few weeks is to open the Bible with you all. 
and to try and help us see together why it is that I think these things are so important to pastoral ministry, but also to our life together. And the last few weeks, we've been thinking about this concept of preaching faithfully and praying fervently. But this morning and next week, I want to reflect very briefly and very simply this morning, right? This is really simple stuff this morning, right? You're not going to learn anything new this morning. But I pray that the Spirit of God is at work in what I share this morning. I want to reflect very briefly with you on this idea of living blamelessly. You see, all of us who call ourselves Christians, all of us who belong to Jesus, we should be desiring to and aiming to live blameless lives. Live blameless lives. But I think the Bible makes it clear that there is a particularly strong expectation and requirement from God upon those whom he calls as leaders or pastors in his church. There is a particularly strong expectation upon those whom God calls to lead his people to live lives that are blameless. Here's what I'm trying to say. As your pastor here at Hope Church, I believe that my responsibility is partly to try and teach you or teach us together with words what it means to belong to Jesus. Part of my responsibility is to teach the flock, the disciples, what it means to belong to Jesus. And to do that, I use words. But I believe that it is also my responsibility, not just to teach you with words what it means to belong to Jesus, but to show you with my life what it means to belong to Jesus. I believe that's the calling that God gives to every person that he appoints as a shepherd over his people. And I have to say this morning, I hesitate to share this with you. I hesitate. And I'll probably say this a few times this morning, but hey, friends, I know that I have and will fall short of living blamelessly. I know I will. But my heart's desire is to pursue living blamelessly. And just as a caveat before we get going, blameless does not mean perfect. God does not call any of us to live perfect lives. He calls us to live blameless lives, and there's a difference. And if you come along on Wednesday, maybe we'll get in to exactly what it looks like and means to live a blameless life. There's an interesting book in towards the end of the New Testament. I'm just going to grab a drink, if that's okay. Oh, that was foolish. Excuse me. I noticed some of you were falling asleep, so I just... uh... There's an interesting book towards the end of the New Testament. It's a book that's split into two parts, and it's called Thessalonians. And actually, this book is a letter. It's a letter that was written by a man called Paul. Now, many of you will know who Paul is. He's a super significant character in the New Testament. 
He was a man who was chosen by the Lord Jesus Christ to take the message of Jesus out to the world. Paul was appointed and chosen by Jesus and given a message to deliver to the world. And that's what Paul did. He began to travel around Europe and he began to share this message that Jesus had given him to deliver. And wherever he went, whenever he shared this message, amazing things happened. People's lives were transformed. Healings began to break out. Miracles began to break out. And many, many churches began to emerge. Many little gatherings of Christians began to pop up all over Europe. There's one particular place that Paul went to. It was called Thessalonica. Thessalonica. And Paul arrived there and he did what he always did. He preached the good news of Jesus. And amazing things happened. We won't read it this morning, but if you want to check that story out, I'd recommend you go away and read the first part of Acts chapter 17. Because that would describe what happened when Paul arrived in this place called Thessalonica. But he arrived there, he preached the message of Jesus, and people's lives were transformed. And people got saved, and they came and gave their lives to Jesus and began to follow him. It was an amazing story. But as always seemed to happen as well, as well as many great things happening when Paul preached the word, there was also a lot of opposition to what he was doing and saying. And so as well as wonderful things happening, very often trouble began to brew as well. And that was the case in Thessalonica. Paul went, he arrived, he preached the gospel. Not everyone was pleased with what he was doing or what he was saying. And so there arose lots of opponents to Paul's ministry. And things got so intense that Paul actually had to make a quick exit. Because his life was in danger. He had to make a quick exit. And you'll see if you read the story in Acts 17 that he and his friends, they escaped in the middle of the night. And they moved on to the next region where they began and continued to preach the gospel. So Paul left, and while Paul was away, after he had left Thessalonica, we don't know for sure, but it seems pretty clear from reading the letter that Paul wrote, wrote that, um, that there were some people that came in amongst the young believers in Thessalonica and they began to disparage Paul's character and they began to accuse him of insincerity or dishonesty. They came in to the church there and they would begin to say things like, that Paul, he's a bit of a charlatan, He's not actually that interested in your lives being transformed by the Spirit of God. All Paul really wants to do is make money out of you. 
And they would come in and they would say things like, you know, that Paul character who left in the middle of the night, he, he, he's not all he cracks up to be, you know. He makes out that he's this great messenger of God, but really he just wants to manipulate you so that he can use you, so that he can gain for himself. And so they came in and they began to attack Paul's character and attack his ministry. You know, I'm really glad that that sort of thing doesn't happen in the church anymore. Aren't you? I'm glad that there's nobody in the church who uses the ministry to gain for themselves these days. I'm glad that never happens anymore. I'm glad that there's nobody around who would seek to disparage or attack a faithful minister of God's character just to beat them down. I'm glad that sort of thing doesn't happen in the church anymore. He says with his tongue firmly in his cheek. Things haven't changed much in 2,000 years. Things haven't changed much in 2,000 years. There are still people who would use the message of the gospel and the ministry that God has given to them to gain for themselves rather than to give to others. And there are still people who will attack and oppose and disparage men and women who are just seeking to be faithful to what God has called them to do. It still happens now just as it did then. And this is what happened to Paul. He left Thessalonica and after he left, people came in and began to attack him. And a short while after, Paul got word of this. He began to hear on the grapevine that back in Thessalonica there were people who were seeking to bring him down and to disparage his character and to attack his integrity. And when Paul heard that this was happening, it's one of the reasons he wrote this letter, 1 Thessalonians. One of the reasons he wrote it was to defend himself against the unfair and unjust accusations of those that were throwing them about. And so he writes this letter. And with that as a backdrop, listen to what Paul writes in chapter 2, verses 1 and following. You know, brothers and sisters, Paul says, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. The appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please people, but God. He tests our hearts. You know we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We weren't looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else. Even though, as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like young children among you. 
Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers, sisters, our toil and hardship. We work night and day so that we would not be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. A rich and deep and powerful couple of paragraphs from not just the pen of the Apostle Paul, but friends from his heart. Words from the heart of the Apostle Paul. And I don't think there's any other passage of the Bible that provides a better, a more powerful, a more profound, or a more beautiful model of what Christian leadership and pastoral ministry should look like. This is the pattern. This is the model of what Christian leadership and pastoral ministry should look like. And it's so challenging, and it's so striking, because this model really cuts so deeply against the models of leadership that are lifted up to us from the world. You know, to be a good leader, most of the time, out there in the world, whether it's in media, whether it's in commerce, whether it's in politics, the way the success of leadership is measured is basically, do they get the job done? A good leader is someone who's skillful, competent, dynamic, charismatic, delivers results. That's what the world looks for in leadership. Do they get the job done? If they get the job done, I'm not going to complain. Do they get the job done? Do they deliver results? If they do, great. That's good leadership. If they don't, terrible. Let's get rid of them. But that's not the way leadership works or looks like in the kingdom of God and in the church of Jesus Christ. You see, in the world, leadership is about success, it's about charisma, it's about dynamism, it's about skills, it's about results, it's about prestige, it's about platform, it's about wealth. But in the kingdom of God, leadership is not about those things at all. Leadership is about heart and character and integrity and love and gentleness and sincerity. And that's what Paul delivers to us in this passage. And he says, when I came to you, brothers and sisters, I came with a heart full of love, simply wanting to give. I came 
with a life that was blameless and righteous. Did you catch? Let's look again what he says in, in verse 10 and following. If you just flick it on to the next slide. Listen to this again. This is so profoundly challenging and, if I'm honest with you, terrifying. You are witnesses, and so is God, Paul says, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. We know, for you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. This is so challenging, but yet so beautiful to me. Paul writes to these young believers in the church of Thessalonica, a church where people had come in and begun to disparage him and attack him. And he writes and he says, Brothers, sisters, do you remember? Do you remember the time we spent together? Do you remember my ministry amongst you? You you remember, don't you, brothers and sisters? You remember how holy and righteous and blameless I was when I was among you? You should know that what these opponents are attacking me for, you should know that that's all rubbish because you remember how I was amongst you. You remember my life, don't you, brothers and sisters? You remember the way I lived. You remember the way that I cared for you like a father cares for his children. You, you remember the kind of spirit and attitude that I adopted when I was with you. You remember that all I really wanted to do was to encourage you to live lives worthy of God. Don't listen to these jokers who are accusing me of insincerity. Don't listen to them who are accusing me of being a charlatan. You, you remember me. You remember the way I lived amongst you. Powerful. And you know, friends, and and I hesitate because sometimes I'm not even totally convinced of the motives of my own heart. Sometimes I'm not. And so I hesitate to say this, but friends, I hope and pray that this might be true of me as the shepherd of this flock. I hope and pray that this will be true of me. I tremble to say it because as I've said earlier, I have done and no doubt will do fall short of this, of course. But I just want to lay before you my heart this morning. And I want to say to you, this, friends, is what inspires me. And this is what I aspire to with the responsibility that God has placed upon me as your shepherd. This is what I aspire to. I want you to know that I'm not here chasing prestige. I'm not here chasing or attempting to build a really big platform. I'm not here trying to peddle the word of God to get gain for myself. I'm not here with an obsessive desire to build the biggest and the best church in Cornwall. That's not what gets me out of bed in the morning. 
It's not. Listen, I want the church to grow and be healthy and to impact the locality, and I want us as a body of people to shine like a city on a hill, but that is not what drives me. This is more important to me than any of that. My desire, my hope, my prayer is that at the, at the conclusion of our time with you as your leaders, whether that's five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years maybe, probably not, we'll all be gone by then, whenever it is, I desire so deeply that I can write a letter to Hope Church and say, hey, brothers, sisters, Hope Church, remember that time we spent together? You remember that? And and you remember what kind of man I was? You remember the way I lived? You, You saw the way that I lived? And you remember that I lived blamelessly amongst you. You remember that? And you know, even if you don't remember that, and even if you don't see that, God does. Did you catch that in Paul's words? Verse 10, he says, your witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless I was amongst you. I mean, this makes the model, the pattern, even more profound and even more sobering. Because Paul writes to the believers in Thessalonica and he says, you, you witnessed my life. You witnessed the way I lived blamely amongst you. But not only did you witness it, God witnessed it. And so Paul is saying that the pattern of kingdom leadership is not only to live your lives blamelessly before people, but live it blamelessly before God as well. And that makes it even more intense and even more serious. Because I suppose it is possible to convince people that you're someone that you're not. I could do that, I think. I could. Listen, I've been around church my whole life. I can play this game all day long. I know what to say and when to say it and how to say it. I know the right places to show up at the right times. I could play this game all day long and I reckon I probably could convince you that I was living up to the model that Paul sets before us here. But God... Not a chance. You can't fool him. He sees the inner workings of our hearts. He knows every thought that runs through our mind. He knows every motivation that is stirring us on our inner being. He knows every word before it's even on our tongue. And so while it might be possible to convince you that I'm someone that I'm not, I can never convince him. I can never convince him. He is the searcher of hearts. 
And I know that ultimately, one day I'm going to stand before him and I'm going to give an account. I'm going to give an account. And I pray, I pray, I pray that on that day, I might be able to stand before him and say, God, you know. You know how holy and righteous and blameless I was with the ministry that you had gifted to me. Oh, Father, help me. And so this morning, listen, it's not difficult. This is simple. This is nothing that any of you would have not known before. Nothing that any of you would not have heard before. But I just guess this morning that I want you to know that these words, this pattern, this model of leadership that Paul gives to us in 1 Thessalonians 2, I want you to know that it's not lost on me, right? I want you to know that it grips my heart and it fuels my prayers. I want to say that with as much sincerity as I can. And of course, you don't have to believe me. You don't have to believe me. I hope you do. Uh, but you don't, you know. You don't have to believe me. But ultimately, like I said, God is the one to whom I am accountable. Paul says it several times in that passage. He says, I, mean, I wasn't trying to please people. Trying to please God. And I, and I seek to make that the pattern of my life and my ministry. I'm not here to please people. I'm here to please God because I know that when I please God, people are blessed. People are strengthened. People are encouraged, as Paul said, like a father's his son, encouraged and exalting you just to live lives worthy of God. I'm, I'm here to please Him. And he knows my heart. And so if you, I hope you believe me what I'm saying this morning. I hope you don't feel like I'm trying to pull the wall over your eyes or trying to create a picture of a man that, in fact, I probably will. In fact, I do fall short of some of the things that I say. That's the tragedy. <laughs> That's the tragedy. It's like, oh, this is what I want. But, and so it just drives me to my knees. Like, God, you, you got to help. You gotta help me. This is what you're calling me to, then you're gonna to have to help me. And when I fall short of it, I believe his grace is absolutely sufficient. Oh God, his grace is sufficient. And so I just wanted to share this with you this morning. It feels a little bit like I've been rambling, to be honest with you. Um But I hope something of the Spirit of God has been shared this morning. And this passage is, I guess, particularly directed towards those that are engaged in pastoral ministry and church leadership. But as I said right at the outset this morning, all of us as disciples of Jesus are called to pursue blameless living. All of us are. It's not just those that God appoints to leadership or ministry. We're all called as disciples to pursue blameless living. And so what I'd love to do is next week, 
I'd love to begin to apply some of these things at a wider level and for us all to think together about all of us as disciples are called to blameless living. But for this morning, I just wanted to let you in as best I can to my heart and my mind before God. And I'm going to pray and Alan's going to come and lead. Listen, if you've got any questions for me and you want to chat more, you, we can do that after. You can grab me, that's fine. Not a problem. I'm not in this for the money. Trust me, I'm not in this for the money. Oh, Lord, I just want to give all of this to you and I want to thank you for these people who have been a gift, a gift, Lord, a gift to this church and a gift to us. And I just want to pray, Lord, with as much sincerity as I can that this model of leadership that Paul gives to us in Thessalonians, I want to pray, Lord, that by your Spirit it would be true of me. And I want to pray for myself, Lord, that when that day comes, that I would have the joy and the blessing of hearing those beautiful words. Well done, good and faithful servant. And I want to pray for every one of us in this room, Lord, that we would all look to that day and live our lives in light of that day and that we would all desire to hear those words. Well done, good and faithful servant, Lord. You call us all to a high calling. You call us all to blameless living. And Lord, in our own strength, we cannot attain it. Lord, we fall so far short of it. But I want to thank you that your grace is sufficient. And Lord, I know that I have and will fall short of the things I've shared this morning. I want to pray, Lord, Father, that in those moments I will be humble enough to own and acknowledge my faults and my failures. And I want to thank you that in those moments your grace will be sufficient. Lord, I want to thank you that where sin increases, grace increases even more. And I want to thank you, Lord, for what you're doing amongst us. And I just want to pray, Lord, that Jesus would be central to our life. That Jesus would be lifted up. That Jesus, you would be honored. That you would be adored in every heart, Lord. I want to pray, Lord, that Jesus, you would be trusted in. Lord, that you would be, be enjoyed, Lord. That you would be glorified in every life in this place, Lord. And in our life together, Jesus. Would you magnify yourself? It's all about you, Lord. You must increase and we must decrease. We pray in your name and for your glory. Amen. Amen, amen. We're going to sing as we close our time together.